Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, Diaria! It's time to wake up. It's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports. On 95.7, the game. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Lightford in on the pregame show, 95.7, the game, leading you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you up until 10. And there's a lot to talk about by now. We got baseball rolling. I mean, there's always some football news to get to. We also got some basketball. We got Warriors and Bucks tonight. And before we get to any of that uh, that happened in the Bay Area, just wanted to go through a couple of things that happened yesterday. As mentioned, we do have football to talk about, and we did have uh, a big trade go down yesterday with the Jets and the Panthers, but... Just a quick shout-out to Baylor as they won the national championship 86-70 to over Gonzaga. And watching that entire game yesterday, just right out of the gate, Baylor were way more physical. They came out with just way more energy and were playing just much better defense, knocking down their shots. And if you haven't checked it out, I recommend you go on to Twitter and look at the one play that represents everything as to why we love March Madness. March Madness is different than the NBA, and not only the fact that it's played in two halves, and you know you got a bonus and a double bonus, and you know you got the one and one free throws, and all the rule changes, ones that we don't even need to get into. But these players want to win in March Madness more than anything, even if it means just getting through the round of 64 and getting forward to the round of 32. Even getting one win means something. And there was a play yesterday where I forget which player on Baylor it was, but he went out to block a three or at least to close out on a three, and he was closing out so quick that he ran all the way 
past the sideline, past the scorer's table, and then he stops at the scorer's table, realizes the ball is still in play as Gonzaga is still swinging the ball around. He runs all the way to the other corner where Gonzaga had an open three, and he managed to close out on that player, and the guy missed it. And, you know, you know, obviously Baylor go on to win. But my point being, March Madness is so much fun to watch because just of how much the players want it. And I think that that one play, I recommend you check it out. And you have, and if you have kids who not only just play basketball, but if they play sports, I recommend you show them that clip if they haven't seen it. You can find it on Twitter right now. It's it's circula- It's making the rounds. It's circulating. It's going viral. Um, the, the quality is not so great right now because it's someone taking a video of a TV, but I highly recommend if you have kids, uh, you show them that play because it's one of those DK Metcalf types where you, know, you can't replace the heart that it takes in order to make, you know, the chase down tackle, for example, that Metcalf made on Buda Baker. But that play that was shown from Baylor Gonzaga, I recommend you show it. But again, 86 to 70 was your final. Not a very interesting game. Gonzaga had a couple of stretches where it looked like they were coming back, but Baylor got out to an early lead, and it didn't seem like Gonzaga could do anything uh, to make their comeback as they went into the for, uh, as they went to halftime uh, down by ten. But then Baylor just kept pounding it on, pounding it on, and uh, and 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 it ended up being a sixteen point win. So shout out to Baylor for that. We also had Aaron Rodgers on Jeopardy, and he is the guest host for the week as Jeopardy continues to find uh, whoever their host will be permanently. But Aaron Rodgers was on there yesterday, and it's interesting because whenever we watch Jeopardy and we see something like sports questions or questions about music, I mean, there was one Jeopardy episode I watched, I think. I think Ken Jennings was hosting at the time, and the category was hip-hop themes. And that was the only category left by the end of the round. You know, you had 200, 400, 600, 800, 1,000 all left on the board still, and everyone's like, no, nah, I'm not touching that. And whenever there's a sports category, there might be one contestant who will go for it, but for the most part, They'll stay away and they'll go for anything else uh, that they've been studying leading up to this moment besides sports. But Aaron Rodgers was the guest host and listened to this final answer that a contestant gave when he clearly didn't know what the answer was to the final Jeopardy question. Take a listen to this from Jeopardy last night. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? That is a great question. Should be should be, should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, it's incorrect, and you're going to lose zero. Okay. So as I mentioned, they'll most likely stick away from sports questions, and if you know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the guest host, then you'll most likely be going into the crowd. But I was surprised at the amount of laughter that came for that joke. Uh, that. That's a real meta sports joke. 
if you understand what happened at the end of the championship game with the Panthers or with the Packers, excuse me, we'll get to the Panthers in just a second. But if you go to the end of that championship game, I mean, not only was it kicking the field goal and and, and, and the fact that they, they didn't do it in the first place, but why didn't Aaron Rodgers run and get the first down on the third and eight when he had a clear path? It looked like he could have at least gotten a first down in that situation. But it's very inside NFL, that sort of joke. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> I don't know. That was a building laughter. I wonder if someone held up a sign that said laugh, because that joke is supposed to be a real inside sports joke that's meant to be funny. And I'm just completely dissing the Jeopardy crowd that's in there. Maybe they did understand uh, that one. But hell, I mean, even some of the general sports fans probably wouldn't even get that one. But uh, shout out to Aaron Rodgers. Smart dude. I personally am a big fan, but also shout out to the contestant for... (laughs) For throwing out uh, that answer. We'll see what happens uh, for the rest of the week. All right. Let's get into what happened in the NFL. Sam Darnold was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a sixth rounder in this year's draft while going for a second and fourth in next year's draft in 2022. And I really do believe in the whole notion that uh, Adam Gase is not the guy you want to develop your quarterback. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, Darnold's not even better than Teddy Bridgewater. The pro football focus numbers were pulled up. The DVOA numbers were pulled up from football outsiders. If you, if you know what that is, that's actually called, that stands for defensive value over adjustment. And it, they take a whole bunch of, you know, situations and, the types of throws that quarterbacks make and all that, and they grade them on this certain scale. That's what DVOA is. And Sam Darnold ranked incredibly low within the bottom three tier of quarterbacks. But I think this is a good move for both parties involved. And not only that, but it is pretty clear that the Jets are looking for their starting quarterback with that number two overall pick in this year's draft. So uh, Sam Darnold out. He's in Carolina. And I would say that within the NFC South, I would say that the Panthers would be right at the top because I think given Christian McCaffrey stay healthy and some of the players on defense that the Panthers have, they got a couple of good wide receivers in DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. I think that Sam Darnold could thrive with Carolina, especially with Matt Rule running the offense. And I don't think that the statistics that are shown for Sam Darnold, I think those are a product product of playing under Adam Gase and just under a dysfunctional franchise. I mean, you know, we always talk about how um, we need to be patient with James Wiseman, for example, as Warrior fans. Well, with Sam Darnold, I mean, the dude is still relatively young, And Jets fans could not stay patient with him. And, you know, I think he's shown flashes to where he has the talent to be a good quarterback. And I do believe that coaching and development is a huge part of that. And I think that also goes speaks to how 49er fans need to have patience with whoever the number three overall pick is, whether that is Justin Fields or 
Trey Lance or Mac Jones, which is growing hard. Um, it's it's getting harder and harder to believe that Mac Jones is going to be the pick at number three, just because of how how much they've given up. But I do think that uh, Sam Darnold getting a fresh start in Carolina, I think it will put us a, a mix of um, talent within the NFC, and 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 I think it'll make the NFC South that much more tough for the Falcons and the Saints and you know the Buccaneers who we'll see I mean they're bringing back everyone who's on their Super Bowl roster so uh, who knows when it comes to uh, the Buccaneers and what they'll do within the NFC South but those were the big stories of yesterday let's get to a little local flavor shall we as the Giants won last night three to two over the San Diego Padres Yastrzemski lifts one high into center field and deep and out of here. And the Giants take the lead. Yastrzemski with his first of the year. And it looked like he was out front just a little bit. Now something we're paying attention to and we're looking at through a microscope is Gabe Kapler and the decisions that he makes when it comes to bringing in guys from his bullpen. And yesterday, the first player that he brought in for Desclafani was Matt Whistler, who didn't have a great outing. Then Caleb Berger, who came in and uh, managed to close out the inning for Matt Whistler uh, in the sixth. And it's those bullpen decisions that we're always going to keep a microscope on. And, you know, anytime there's bad decision made, bad decisions made, we're going to talk about it. But anytime there's good decisions made, we just expect that from a Giants manager. And that's what Gabe Kapler did as far as managing the bullpen last night as uh, Reyes Murata, Tyler Rogers, who came in yet again, and then Jake McGee uh, to close it out, who I'm really liking, by the way. But there were no issues there. And they did get the win last night and we'll get to more of the details from the game as the Giants won three to two and credit NBC Sports Bay Area for that audio for the Mike Yastrzemski home run, the pinch hit home run to take the lead. But there is one concern that I have for the Giants going forward and they've tied the major league record for nine home runs right now. The major league baseball record for nine home runs in the league. Now there's something that concerns me about it. What concerns me about that? We'll get to that next. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show. Ninety five seven. The game. Three and one. Fly ball. Center field. Ball game. Whew. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Credit NBC Sports Bay Area for that audio. That was the final out as Jake McGee closed out the game and the Giants beat the Padres 3-2 in last night's showdown. And I thought there was a lot to like in this game. I mean, for one, I thought DeSclafani looked pretty good. He gave up uh, a lot of hard-hit baseballs, but overall, I thought his fastball was looking good. I, mean, I thought he had a, a nice sinker working, and he also had a good changeup to go along with it. And 
I think he's got some interesting pitchers, pitches, man. And also, that slider that he was using, I thought he was locating it pretty well whenever he was in two-strike counts. And um, him and Buster Posey, as they continue to work together, there weren't a lot of times to me when I was watching those two-strike counts where he missed the location, missed where Buster Posey uh, wanted to have him pitch the bat, or to pitch the pitch the baseball, and I thought that overall, Di Sclafani gave you something that Farhan has been adding to this roster the entire time, which is a lot of cheap arms who really nobody wants, but he feels like he could see something in them, and and I truly do believe uh, that this Giants pitching staff that they have. Um, not just with the players, but also with the coaches. I do believe that they are a top-notch staff as far as uh, developing pitchers. I mean, look no further than guys like uh, Brian Bannister, who is their uh, director of pitchers development, and look no further than Andrew Bailey, who's a good pitching coach. And I, I think that I, I think that Di Sclavani looked really good, and I thought that he had a lot of promise yesterday. Uh, a couple of other things. I mean. Buster Posey and Evan Longoria have looked great so far this season. Longoria, I know he only went one for four yesterday, and he also had uh, he also had an RBI to go along with it. But he's looked really, really comfortable uh, at the plate, in my opinion. And right now, he's got a nine thirty three slugging percentage and his, is hitting three thirty three for average. And you know, that's not like that's going to be sustainable. But as long as he's looked comfortable at the plate, that's really all that matters. And it's the same with Buster Posey and the first hit that he got in the game just going straight to the opposite field. I thought he's looked relatively comfortable at the plate and neither of them struck out yesterday. Uh, but here's the thing that kind of concerns me going forward into the season. Now, we again, we put this microscope on Gabe Kapler's bullpen decisions. Anytime that he makes any sort of change, we're going to look at it out of the corner of our eye and be like, all right, we're going to be looking at it with a side eye. Like, is this really the right decision when you're bringing in this specific player? And, you know, at first when he brings in Matt Whistler and he couldn't get out of the inning, we're thinking, ah, is this happening again? Then Caleb Berger comes in and, and, and closes things out in that inning in the sixth. And then Reyes Marata and Tyler Rogers and then Jake McGee do enough uh, to close it out in this game. So it's not really the bullpen that we were paying attention to. But this team has been fun to watch as far as their offense goes. And right now, they have tied the Astros for nine home runs so far this season, um, which is the most in Major League Baseball as of right now. And, of course, let's just play the highlight one more time. Mike Yastrzemski, who had, whose wrist had been bothering him, that was reported uh, before the game. And, you know, Yaz hasn't looked like Yaz so far uh, after the first few games of the season. But Mike Yastrzemski comes into pinch hit for Caleb Barriger, who I mean, now that we don't have, now that we don't have a universal DH, this is what we're going to be seeing. We're going to be seeing relievers who are going up to the plate at times, and man, I can't believe they gave up a hit to the reliever uh, for the Padres yesterday. Uh, but Mike Yastrzemski comes in 
and hits a pinch hit home run with the game tied at two. Yastrzemski lifts one high into center field and deep and out of here. And the Giants take the lead. Yastrzemski with his first of the year. And it looked like he was out front just a little bit. Credit NBC Sports Bay Area uh, for the audio. And and that was great just to see Yaz uh, getting back to, you know, getting that confidence and, and getting that home run. And it was big, obviously, for them to take the lead. Uh, but here's the thing that gets me with the nine home runs. Again, nine home runs tied with the Astros for the major league lead. They've only scored 16 runs in their past four games out of those nine home runs. And again, told you, they're tied with the Astros. Well, the Astros (laughs) have scored 41. They have scored 41 runs, and that's in the past five games. So sure, the Giants have played one game less, but that's not going to make... A, uh, a what a 25 run difference. I don't think they're going to get 25 runs in their next game in order to tie that. And the Astros, in my opinion, have faced far better pitching. They played their first, first four games against the A's. And when you're going up against the likes of Chris Bassett and Jesus Lazardo, those guys throw hard, man. And even though they got lit up a little bit, I think that they're a damn good baseball team and a damn good pitching staff, and it's hard for to do that. But I do think that this is not sustainable. This way, uh, it really is right now, the three true outcomes with the Giants, besides Donnie Barrels. Donovan Solano uh, has, has been great at the plate, and he's you know it feels like he can put the bat uh, uh, on any pitch, no matter the location. But I do think this speaks to a larger issue of they need to get guys on base. I mean, the home runs are great, you know, and and it's good that they're getting runs on the board. This is something we're not used to seeing with the Giants, right? Is it was? I mean, two years ago, you remember when they would they would lose a lead in like the third inning and they'd be down by three, and you're just like, all right, all right, whatever. whatever. And and I think that the home runs that have been hit have been great, and the fact that Longoria and Buster Posey and Mike Yastrzemski have been getting home runs. Austin Slater uh, got one in the opening game. I mean, hell, they had four in the opening game. Alex Dickerson uh, with a pinch hit home run. And I mean, is that is is Kapler two for two so far on on pinch hit home runs? Shout out to you, Kapler. But this is not a sustainable way of playing baseball if they want to have any success going forward. And I know, I know there's not a lot of expectations here for the Giants. And no, from the 707, I'm not comparing the Giants to the Astros, but I am saying that even though they're tied with the Astros for a league-leading nine home runs as a team, the Astros have 41 runs total in their first five games when the Giants only have 16 in their first four. And that's why I'm saying they're completely different. And that's why this style of baseball that they're playing right now 
is not going to be a sustainable one through 162 games. It sure does make it a lot of fun. But also, you're putting your bullpen in tough situations because we're going to come in here every single day. Let's just say, let's just say the Giants did give up the lead yesterday. Let's just say that it, you know, they, the Padres were able to tie it 3 3 and then end up making it 4 3 in the end. Well, We'd look at the bullpen decisions that Kapler made and, and blame it on that, blame it on whatever reliever gave up the runs. But something that we will forget about in that game is the lack of hits that the Giants had in the first place as they only had nine hits on the day. And I just think that these home runs, the nine total home runs, it's great. It's great that it's tied for the lead with the Astros. But with the total runs that have been scored in general for the Giants, it's just not a sustainable way of garnering wins. Now, um, we'll see what happens in the future. And I, and, I, and I like the lineup. I like what they're bringing. But we just need to see them get more hits and put more people on base. And eventually you'll be seeing more two-run, three-run homers instead of just, yeah, solo home run and that's it, get one run and really rely on the three true outcomes of baseball. Although the strikeouts haven't been too, uh, the, the strikeouts haven't been as prevalent. I think that actually the giants have looked really comfortable at the plate. And I do think that Gabe Kapler deserves uh, a lot of credit for the culture that he is um, built around the giants. As far as hitting goes, because they've been much more patient at the plate and it doesn't feel like, a lot of these Giants are, are chasing too many pitches. I do like the approaches uh, that they're taking. We just need to see them uh, get some more hits and you know get into double digits into the H column, and that way you can get more numbers into the R column. That's all I'm saying here. I'm not trying to compare the Giants to the Astros. I'm just saying, I mean, it's like those numbers, man. They really, they really do speak volumes. Uh, real quick. It really stunk to see what happened with uh, Tatis Jr. yesterday. You know, it's not something you expect to see. It's not like, you know, he got injured playing defense and, you know, there's like a collision with a pop-up and you kind of are, are, are bracing for contact. It's nothing like that. Uh, but when he swung at a, at, a, at, a, at a third strike, and he went down, we didn't know what really happened. And really, from, from my vantage point, when it was in slow-mo, I looked at, I was looking at the wrist primarily because that's what Krupp and Krupp and Kuyp were saying on the broadcast. And um, it turns out that he has been diagnosed with a left shoulder subluxation. Uh, he's going to be reevaluated today, and apparently he his shoulder had been bothering him in spring training earlier this year, about uh, about a month ago, and he said that he was back to being 100%, uh, but now there is some unknown, and let's just hope that it's nothing like a tear or anything like that because that would, would require an operation, and it would most likely mean that Tati's junior season is over. Um, so we do not want to see that, even as, even as Giants fans, but as just baseball fans, this dude is so good for the game. So seeing that yesterday, uh, it, just, it just really stunk. And, you know, Di Sclafani, I thought, had a nice outing. 
uh, you know, five innings pitch, gave up four hits and had four strikeouts and three walks. It was a, it was a fine, it, it was a fine performance. There was nothing wrong with it. It just stunk seeing uh, one of those strikeouts end in an injury to one of the most exciting and fun players to watch in baseball. Uh, and, 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 you know, kind of put a damper on things uh, for a little bit in that game. So hopefully Tatis Jr. Uh, is okay and he'll be reevaluated today. So I'm sure we'll be getting the news at some point this morning. But triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number going from baseball over to the NBA. If you're a Warrior fan, I wanted to know what did you make of the debacle with Kelly Oubre and the sound from Andrew Bogut. Now, if you haven't heard it, we'll play it for you on the other side. But Kelly Oubre had his response, and I want to know from you, do you feel like Bogut is telling the truth, or do you feel like you're on the side of Kelly Oubre, who clearly thinks uh, that this is all... Cap triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number. If you want to weigh in, want to know from you, Warrior fans, please feel free to text in on the text line or call in. Always taking your calls here on the pregame show. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that coming up next. Plus, we got the Bucks and the Warriors tonight, and it's very interesting looking at the contracts and how they play out uh, going forward. So we'll get to all that next. Stephen Langford doing on the pregame show ninety five seven the game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Uh, this will get you going in the morning. Good morning, everyone. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Oh, man. Oh, wow. I just got a huge text from the 415. I don't... I, I'll be honest, 415, these texts don't all get every single one of your characters and they separate them. And right now, your text was separated into like eight different texts. It'd take me the, it'd take me the next 22 minutes to read that. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I want to know from you, Warrior fans, and we'll get to the Bucks and the, and the Warriors, and we'll reset a little bit with everything that happened yesterday uh, in the world of sports because we did have a lot. But I want to get a pulse from you before we get to this Andrew Bogut sound from yesterday. But I want to hear from you at 888 with Ubre's bench comments, I want to bring it back to that press conference after the trade deadline was over. And Kelly Ubre was asked a ton of questions about his future with the Warriors. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said that he does feels like he's too good in order to take a bench role. And that in the future, if he's on this team going forward and they pay him whatever money it would be, he wouldn't want to come off the bench. And the starting five next season is most likely going to be 
somewhere along the lines of, I mean, Ubre, if he were on the team next year, he would probably be in the starting five uh, at the beginning of the season when Clay is still working his way back. But at some point, he would be relegated to the to the bench if I had to guess it's again that's a big if uh, if he's on this team next year Uh, but when you heard those comments what did you make of it did you say wow this kid I I I love the confidence I love the hubris that he's showing I want to hear that from a guy on this Warriors team from people who aren't that outspoken from from guys on this uh, on this dubs team who are more or less really uh, really humble on the court. They don't talk a lot. You know, they kind of let the play speak for themselves. What did you make of that? 888-957-9570. Because hearing what Andrew Bogut had to say yesterday, uh, I found it to be very interesting. But real quick, before we get to that Bogut sound and what he had to say again, 888-957-9570, what did you make of Ubre's comments, and you know what? Maybe I need to, uh, and I haven't done so. I'll actually try and pull up those Ubre comments as well uh, before or after we play the Bogut sound, so we can actually uh, hear what he's referencing. But shout out to Baylor as they beat Gonzaga last night, eighty-six to seventy. They got off to an early lead. They were more physical. They were playing with more energy, more speed. It was just a thrashing and you know Gonzaga had their moments where they were coming back but it just felt like yeah they're gonna let Drew Timmy get to the hoop whenever he wants to they're gonna let him get the open layup uh but Baylor ended up playing some good defense on the perimeter uh they were closing out well they were just playing with so much speed and that's what translated to the 86 to 70 win not a very thrilling game I'm sure some people uh, were tuned out by the time you know there was ten minutes left in the in in the second half, but still, March Madness delivered yet again for both the men and the women, and I don't think that it ever really misses every single year. And I'm glad that we had it back because when that announcement came down in 2020, that was really the first big. Ugh. You know, we had the NBA season suspended and. But we figured that it would make a comeback at some point. But when you just heard in 2020 that March Madness was over, you're just like, damn. I mean, I was getting ready to fill out my bracket, getting ready to get back into college basketball a little bit after being into the NBA. I, I just think that um, it's great that we had March Madness again, and it didn't really uh, disappoint. We had the trade with the NFL. Sam Darnold, quarterback for the Jets was traded to the Panthers for a sixth-rounder this year and then a second and a fourth next year in 2022. So really, Panthers not giving up a ton in order to get a guy who is at one point the third overall pick. But this also speaks to where the Jets are at as far as who they're going to draft and what they're going to do with the second overall this year. It's clear that they're going to go with a quarterback but also, I think that um, overall, this is a good move for both teams. This is really a good move for both teams. And, and I'm excited to see what Sam Darnold can do outside of uh, that Jets organization. I would have been, look, if he would have come to the 49ers, I really would have been okay with it. I like Darnold. I like what he does. And if they didn't have to give up that 12th overall pick, which is what, 
you know, clearly they wouldn't have had to give up. They would have maybe given up a six rounder this season. Uh, I would have been totally okay with them getting Sam Darnold. But after all, they traded the next couple of first rounders to get that third overall pick as well as the third rounder next year. So there you have it. It looks like the Jets are going to be getting a new quarterback and the Niners are going to be getting their new franchise quarterback as well uh, for the future. Now, what does this mean for Jimmy Garoppolo? Who knows? But when you hear Jimmy Garoppolo is wanted for a first rounder, uh, I'd be surprised if anyone would be uh, would be taking that deal. But let's get to what happened with Andrew Bogut yesterday. So first, I want to play the sound for you that ended up going viral. This is what uh, Bogut was talking about, Kelly Oubre's and his comments with the trade deadline and his future with the Warriors when he was being asked questions about you know, how much money he'd take and whether he'd take a bench roll and all these different things. So here's what Andrew Bogut had to say on his Rogue Bogues podcast yesterday about Kelly Oubre. Followed up saying, would you, you know, would you be happy coming back next season? If Clay's healthy, would you come back to a bench roll? And the conversation kind of turned. It, it went pretty, it was clear. His tone, the way he was talking, uh, was not pretty, not very positive to coming off the bench and, and, and said something along the way of, I'm, I'm more than a bench player. I wouldn't come off the bench now. Not going to name the player, but I've heard the Warriors players didn't take too lightly to those comments. They basically had, had, had made him made it pretty known that Andre Iguodala, a finals MVP, was okay with coming off the bench. But we have Kelly, mother Ubre, who won't. Um, and that was, that was not directed behind his back. That was to his face by, you know, an unnamed player in that locker room who was not too happy with those comments. But it was pretty interesting just because that's a, that's a group that still has NBA champions, champions on it. So as a young fellow like Ubre, I, I like the confidence. Okay. So that's the key at the end there. What Bogut was saying. He says he's a young player and I like the confidence. And I want to know from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Do you like that confidence from Ubre, or do you think, hey, be a little more humble? You know, show some humility there. Because here's what Ubre said after the trade deadline: uh, whether he'd come off the bench in the war with the Warriors in the future if he's still on this team. I can't uh, speak for the future, brother. So I mean, you keep asking me questions like I'm a psychic, but at the end of the day, I'm growing. You know, I'm honing in on my skills in this league, and I can offer a lot more than, you know, coming off the bench. So at the end of the day, this is, you know, this is my life. So I can't tell the future. Only God can. So, look, I don't think he was just, he was that adamant and straightforward and just saying, no, I'm not taking a roll off the bench. No, if I, if I don't, if I don't, if I'm off the bench, if I'm coming off the bench, I'm not even trying. I'm not even going to practice. Kidding me? I'll just take my money. No, I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna come off the bench. What are you talking about? He wasn't that despondent, but I think that when Bogut mentioned Andre Iguodala, let's take a look at how old Andre Iguodala was when he came to the Warriors. He was 30 years old. That's when he came over here in 2013. Started 63 games. But when he was in his age 31 season, we all remember that Andre Iguodala was relegated to the bench and he gracefully accepted that bench role. And he gets all the credit in the world for that. But I highly doubt 
And you know, and and that's just, and that might be a knock on on Iguodala, and I'm not trying to knock him at all, but I would think that a 25 year old Andre Iguodala would think differently than a 31 year old Andre Iguodala, and it's the same being Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre, when he's 31 years old, might think differently, but right now, when you are a young player who's still trying to establish himself in the league, trying to get paid, trying to prove that you can be a starter. When you've had one season where you really are a starter, for the most part, she has been coming off the bench uh, for the first few years of his career. But, you know, I feel like we're coming down really hard on Ubre for this sort of thing. And... You know, I mean, it's he's 25. You know, I'm 27 years old. I'm like, yeah, put me on the air. I could be on the air, you know, from five to six. It's like, do you not want a young? Do you want to not let a young player have some confidence? Because, you know, from the from the five, seven, four here, Kelly Oubre is not a starter on 75 percent of NBA teams. He's barely a starter on the Warriors uh, without Thompson. And I do find that interesting. Seventy five percent is a tough sell because, look, a lot of teams could use a 3 and D guy, even though, you know, the 3 isn't always being knocked down at a percentage that you want it to be knocked down at, even though the 3 is not really consistent. (laughs) I'm not going to say what I was just about to say. That would have been bad. But overall, I'm just saying that, you know, when I heard this stuff from, from Bogut yesterday, I do believe it's true. Because Kelly Oubre went and posted on his Instagram story. <laughs> he posted on his Instagram story. This is a great meme. It was a picture of SpongeBob sniffing the cap emoji. And like, I don't know what he was, uh, I don't know what in the show he was sniffing exactly. I can't really remember that part, but he was inhaling caps. And if you know, what the cap emoji means it is it's 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 made its way up there into the sports emoji lexicon of ways to convey how you're feeling or ways to convey a report or to confirm a report i mean you just you, you'll get one source that'll say something about a certain player and that player now will either give you the eyes emoji, the two eyes, the two big eyes looking to uh, looking to the left, and they'll just quote tweet and be like, they'll they'll have the eyes there. The snake was a popular one for a little while. The snake the snake was a good one, but now it's the cap emoji that's being used constantly. And Kelly Oubre says uh, there is these are lies that are being told, but I do think that. When we went down on Ubre here and, and and we came down on Ubre's road by saying like this guy's way too cocky, this guy's way too confident. Look what Andre Guadala did. Well, you know, Andre Guadala was at a completely different part of his career. You know, he was at the point where all he wanted to do was win championships. I mean, he was in his age thirty one season. And, you know, and I and I do think that he realized that it was for the betterment of the team. And right now, bringing Oubre off the bench, I, I don't know what kind of 
uh, issue that would solve because the Warriors got a ton of issues right now and going into next season. I mean, who knows what their issues are going to be? I mean, a lot of it's going to be going with the second unit. And, you know, if he's convinced that, hey, you're going to have to be the guy in that second unit, you are going to be our sixth man and there's nothing wrong with that, then maybe he can be convinced by it. But personally, I like the confidence. I liked it. And at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero, this was something uh, that's interesting here for the four one five. I'll assume that you're using uh, talk to text, but uh, the four one five asks, "Why has Wiseman been talking to Kevin Durant every day?" And that's what Wiseman mentioned. He talks to Kevin Durant. He talks to uh, Kyrie a lot, and you know we may be looking at that as like, why is he talking to a former Warrior? Uh, at this point, why is he talking to Kyrie? Why is he taking advice advice from these two guys? Two guys who, uh, two guys who, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, have been known to have been kind of head cases over there in Brooklyn. But to me, when I looked at that, I thought back to the time when Wiseman was talking before the season, and I think him and Kevin Durant have been friends for a while. Even even before the NBA, it's not just like, you know, Wiseman texted him during the season. It's just like, hey, can you give me advice on how to work with the Warriors? I think Kevin Durant is just trying to be a good dude. I, I mean, I, I know Wiseman's comments might, you know, sting a little bit. And it's just like, why are you talking to one guy in Kevin Durant who left this team with uh, in not the greatest fashion? And you're also talking to the other guy who hit... Uh, one of the most heartbreaking shots in Warrior history against the Warriors. I, I personally, uh, uh, I personally didn't make too much of that when I heard Wiseman say that. I think he's good that he's getting advice from uh, other guys, but also I think it speaks to the fact that I, a larger point is Kerr hasn't really made the adjustments. It feels like from those teams, it feels like they still want to run the same type of basketball that they were running back at those teams in 2019. But that's why Wiseman is trying to ask for advice all the time because he's still running the same system. That's kind of the way that I took it when I saw that him and Kevin Durant are, he's getting advice on how Kevin Durant should run the system. It should be a completely different system by now because you have completely different players. But it, it, it's not in, in that uh, – it, it's not – that situation from the 574. Draymond Green is 31. Try putting him on the bench. Oh my goodness. From the 510, I'm with you. 25 year old should not just accept it, but he may have to if he stays. And that's the biggest if that is going to be surrounding the Warriors going into the offseason is if Ubre uh, will stick around. All right. We do have the Warriors and. The Bucks tonight, and really the Warriors haven't played a brand of basketball, which can make you think uh, that they'll beat the 32 and 17 Bucks. Uh, but they are at home, and it, it's interesting because these two teams are very similar in the way that they've done their contracts. The Bucks have put a lot of cash and stock into Giannis Antetokounmpo. Drew Holiday, who just recently got a four-year, $160 million extension uh, this past weekend, as well as Chris Middleton. I, I, I do think that it's um, 
the the way that these teams are constructed, they're very similar. And and I and I do want to have the conversation tomorrow because we've had so much to talk about today. But I do want to have the conversation tomorrow about which team you would rather have for the next three years because it seems like they're going to have a majority of the same players on their roster, at least at the top side of the roster. So I think that could be interesting. But always watching Steph versus Giannis and you know the fact that. Giannis was reported to come here. I do think that it makes the matchup a little more interesting. And from the 5-1-0, a 19-year-old talking to outsiders in the league and not his teammates. Who's to say he's not talking to his teammates? You know, it, 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 it's, it's not to say that he's not talking to his teammates. It's saying that he's trying to get an outside perspective. Now, could that be hurting him? Who knows? But that was just my opinion. That's just how I took it. I didn't really uh, see too much wrong with it, except for the fact that, hey, if you're asking Kevin Durant how the Warrior system is ran, which is what he mentioned, if you're asking Kevin Durant how the system was run, well, that was two years ago. Hasn't it changed up a bit? Haven't you made any sort of adjustments by now to where maybe Kevin Durant isn't familiar with the Steve Kerr offense that he's trying to run with these players? I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the way uh, that I took it. But let's reset real quick before we get to the morning roast. And I played the sound at the top of the show. And let me play it again. But this is Aaron Rodgers, host of Jeopardy. One of the contestants made a joke with his final Jeopardy answer when Aaron Rodgers was the host. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> That is a great question. Should, should be should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect, and you're going to lose zero. Let's listen to that laugh again from the crowd. I don't know if everyone in the crowd knew that they should be laughing at that joke. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> You know what I mean? There was kind of a buildup of laughter. I think, you know, if he really wanted to take a shot, if he really wanted to take a shot at Rodgers, it would have been, hey, Rodgers, why didn't you run into the end zone when it looked like you had some daylight or at least try to run for the first down so it didn't force the Packers to kick that field goal in the championship? I don't know. Maybe that's something I would have asked. But Aaron Rodgers being a guest host on uh, on Jeopardy, that's pretty cool. And, of course... The Giants getting the 3-2 win last night over the San Diego Padres. 3-1. and one. Fly ball. Center field. Ball game. Credit NBC Sports Bay Area for the audio. They are back against the Padres tonight. And something to keep an eye on. They tied the league lead with nine home runs as a team with the Houston Astros. But... The Giants in that span in a four-game stretch have scored 16 runs, while the Astros have scored 41. So let's see if the Giants against the Padres tonight can get some of that home run magic going while also putting a few more numbers in the H column. All right, coming up next, the morning roast with Kate Scott, Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky, and Bonte Hill, and let me Pull it up right now as I filibuster my way through this from the 650. 
Wiseman needs some of that KD magic. We'll see what happens uh, with Wiseman going forward. But Jim Barnett coming up at 8.50. And, of course, we'll have King of the Hill at 7.35. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow. Enjoy the games tonight. 95.7 The Game.